0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Viva La Flora live podcast, where we bring you the art and business of flowers. Stay tuned. Welcome to episode number 25. Today's guest is Christine Gill uh, from Cultivated by Christine. Um, she is a Canadian floral designer, a writer, gardener, photographer, author, professor, and the list goes on, you guys. She is absolutely amazing. I so enjoyed this conversation with her. Of course, we dove into the work that Christine does for as a, as a designer, as a photographer, but also we really talked deeply about her book called Cultivated Elements of Floral Style. Now, there's something absolutely magical that happened throughout this conversation that was not planned at all, at least not on my side, that she directly read pieces of her book during this podcast. I mean, yeah, that was that was pretty magical. Now, I have the book. It is amazing. Not only it's beautiful, it's well photographed and illustrated, but it also is very informative and very educational. Not only it's entertaining, there's great stories, but again, you sort of almost kind of get into Christine's head and kind of dissect how all of these pieces come together as she's actually designing and photographing and so on. So I highly recommend the book, but if you don't have the book quite yet, we're actually going to be doing a book giveaway. Yep, I have one of Christine's books signed to one of our lucky Viva La Floral live podcast listeners. Stay tuned. Follow us on social media because we'll post all the information about how you can possibly win one of her lovely books. And if you don't, I highly recommend buy the book. It is absolutely amazing. Like I said, it is not just a beautiful book, but it's also really well-rounded, well-written, Entertaining and informative. Well, I'm going to stop talking. We're going to dive into this interview with Christine. Hi, Christine. Welcome.
1: Hi. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, thank you for being here. I um, feel like you're a very busy lady, you know, teaching, book launch, and all of those fun little projects and things. So, yes, I really appreciate you being here. Very excited. Very excited to get to know you. Very excited to. Uh, bring your story to our audience. So, uh, you know, my obvious question, of course, tell us a little bit about you, but I feel like most everybody that is in a floral industry knows about you or at least heard about you. But um, really tell us a little bit about you. Where did it all begin?
1: Sure. Uh, I'm a writer, uh, first and foremost, who uh, was writing a gardening column, actually, when I went off to a floral workshop in my mind thinking, well, I could at the very least write about it. I was interested in flowers as anyone um, who's interested in plants is, but wasn't interested in flower growing particularly at that time. And it was a floret workshop in Washington state. I think it was around 2015. I think it was 2015. And that weekend for me was a game changer. I joined Instagram (laughs) that weekend. I... Realized that a lot of the knowledge I had about growing vegetables and salad and so on could be applied to cut flower production. So I really drank the Kool-Aid and came home, entirely reject my garden so that I could become a micro flower farmer, like an urban supplier And then things evolved from there insofar as I'm still teaching creative writing at the university and I'm writing the gardening column, but I began to sell bouquets. I began to sell my flowers to designers and then gradually, I didn't really like the work that, my, that the designers were doing, or I didn't like how they were photographing the flowers. Mm-hmm. So I began to really up my game um, with photography and design. And that led me over time to a collection of images that were significant and a strong Instagram following which are two things you need for a book deal when you're already a writer um, to write about flowers. So, so then I started working on the book in about oh, 2018, I'd say, and um, it was published in March of 2020. And it's called Cultivated the Elements of Floral Style.
0: Well, congratulations. And I literally saw a glimpse of the book yet. Um, I haven't gotten mine yet very, very soon. What? As soon as I get off the podcast. Okay. So you know what? I'm going to ask this question because I'm sure I'm not the only one who has this question. So I want to buy a couple and I want them to be inscribed, you know, each one of them. So I went in there and I, I started putting in this card and I'm like, okay, hang on. But can I individually write down in the notes, you know, what I want for each of them to be oh, inscribed? In the
1: cart, yes. I sell them through cultivated.shop. Okay, only autographed copies come uh, can be purchased from me. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, it's it's economically better for you as as Americans to buy them from my American publisher. I'm Canadian. I'm in Canada, so an autographed book. I can write anything in it, just add it to the notes in the cart, but it will ship from Canada. So you will pay higher postage on sure. that. Yeah. But I can personalize any any book. Yeah.
0: Well, I think it's well worth it to get it directly from the author and have it personalized. I mean, you can't beat that, you know. No, there is no. a there is a, a certain, uh, how do I, I I don't even know what the right word that is there's a certain beauty in, in the book when it comes directly from the author with, you know, the author's signature in it, just, just, you know, right. I, I collect all kinds of books and my most precious ones are the ones that, especially if I actually got to know the person a little bit and, you know, that it's been signed by the author. I mean, it, there's no value to that. I mean, it's, it's priceless. So, um, so yeah, I, I would say, uh, happy to do it. Yeah, so all my fellow American listeners, um, order from Canada. It's worth the shipping.
1: Yeah, <laughs> just oh, you know, cultivated dot shop. I think is great. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And we'll, we'll put the link in the show notes so you guys can get to it super easily. So yes. So as soon as I'm done with the podcast, I'm doing that because I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm getting on the, on the call with this lady. So I'm just going to ask her and then I'm going to order. So yes, actually, I want to, I want to order too. Uh, but that's besides the point. So one of the things that uh, the way I found out about you personally was through a fellow floral designer who has taken a class by you teaching Florists, how to photograph their work? Oh, where was that? And she, uh, I think she did it in New York. Oh, yeah, New York. Yes. So she spoke so highly about you, and I'm like, you know what? I I just need to, you know, discover this for myself. And as I was thinking about taking classes, of course, COVID happens, and all of these things happen. So all of those things got pushed uh to the side. But needless to say, you know, designing for an event or whatever is one thing, but designing for editorial purposes is a whole another subject, right? So yeah. And you mentioned that.
1: Yeah. In those New York workshops, which I can't do this year, sadly, but they have been fantastic for me and I've done them in uh, February. And I rent a loft and have one student at a time come for a one-to-one for a couple hours or three hours. And they get to see the whole process of how I do it with backdrops, light reflectors, the camera, the tripod. You know, first we arrange flowers and Mm -hmm. then arrange flowers for the camera, which really ultimately means we arrange the light. So we arrange the light to show the flowers in their best light. Right. And, uh, I think it's a really educational process for people and I, you know, engage them in the process. Um, and I, and it's so fun for me as a teacher because everybody creates unique um, work. And right. it's so beautiful to see what people come up with. And also for me, uh, who lives a long way from New York city, To have the New York flower market in Mm. February, (laughs) there's nothing better. All the Japanese sweet peas are there, Mm -hmm. getting all the anemones and all the Dutch product that I just don't see in Canada. And so it's fun for everyone. So I use these high-end flowers. Um, uh, Yeah, not seasonal. I am a grower and a supporter of slow flowers, but... For me in February, that's been a real treat.
0: Yeah. So let's dive into that a little bit um, in terms of like designing for camera. So essentially when we're designing, we're designing for an audience, right? So it is kind of important, I guess, to know who the audience is. You know, if you're designing a wedding centerpiece, the audience are going to be the guests sitting at the table, right? If it's a bridal bouquet, as the bride walks down the aisle, it's pretty much all eyes on the bride kind of situation. (laughs) But when you're designing for specifically editorial work, You know, and Instagram feed is what you mentioned. Um, You know, essentially we all, I mean, a lot of floral designers create some really amazing work, but oftentimes it just does not photograph well.
1: Well, you know, I would, I understand your point about um, designing for a certain thing in mind. Um, And yes, where flowers are to be viewed as significant to what colors you can use and things like that uh however with the editorial work if you're not being hired to do the the photography and i'm i'm not a photographer met, well i am a photographer but but um by accident and intention <laughs> more than by profession so mm-hmm. i'm not hired to photograph um other except for other people other mm-hmm. designers and other people and flowers but um uh, what was it going to, to kind of go from that? That I I look at it as art. So that means I'm doing it for myself in order to stretch myself creatively, mm-hmm. and I, that's one thing that quote editorial work, editorial where it's you're not hired to do it, um, right, is about your own creative expression, mm-hmm. and and working with flowers and plants to make them as beautiful as possible with the help of the camera. Um, mm-hmm. That's really how I look at it. So it's not um, you know the word editorial implies that's going in a magazine or score, you know. Right, you know, that's true. Yeah. So so I think of it more as art.
0: I see. Yeah, and uh,
1: still life, let's call it floral still life.
0: I like that analogy. Yes, I think I think well, Your Instagram feed very much is for steel art. I mean,
1: yeah, and a lot of those pieces, some of them lately, you know, they've been done in a workshop setting and the photographs have been taken in a workshop setting or Mm -hmm. sometimes other people's work. Or I do make a point, and for the designers that are out there, Um, any piece that I do, any commissions that I do, I ensure that I build in enough time to photograph it. And now that I'm a better photographer and I have a certain setup in my house where the photographs are taken, um, the light isn't good in my floral studio. So I actually move the arrangement indoors and, but the tripod's there, everything's there. And I make sure to get a picture before I deliver. Mm -hmm. So I photograph almost everything. You only see one part of it, but that's not all that's good, but um or it's interesting enough, or the commission isn't big enough or grand enough you know so so the the big ones and, and with interesting vases and so on, I almost always photograph them, and it might take me half an hour, but it's a really that half an hour is really well spent, I think, in terms mm-hmm. of being able to market what it is mm-hmm. I do,
0: yeah. So I have a question. So oftentimes I personally find myself, so like I'll design something and, you know, to the eye, of course, it, you know, um, where I guess our brain is sort of designed, not designed, I guess designed, um, to sort of like fill in the blanks, if you will, or make corrections, right? As you're looking at something or associate with things. So, you know, something that you look at, it's an arrangement, it's a work of art or whatever, it looks slightly differently. And then as soon as you put the camera to it, it kind of changes. It almost reveals every possible flaw that that could have been with your design all of a sudden just comes to life. (laughs) So oftentimes I'll put my camera to it and to see, you know, kind of angle, if that makes any sense. That's
1: true. There are two lessons that I've written about in the book and specifically about photography and that, um, um taking a picture of your work can mm-hmm. help you see better see negative space. Mm-hmm. And with all the trends currently for looser, more romantic floral design, um, that ability to see negative space is important. So that's the space around the stem. So I'm going to read a little bit from the book right now.
0: Go okay. for it. Using a
1: camera as a design tool. Recall this image of old. A man stands in front of a woman, arms up, thumbs and forefingers at right angles to form L's. He makes a little box with those digits, peers through them and says, Oh yes, I could see it now. How is it that when we see less of something, we often see more? In floral design, we sometimes need to stand back and frame space to better see our subject. Framing is a means of tackling the questions of size, proportion, and composition. We often do it subconsciously, zooming in and out to make a problem more manageable, playing with scale to wrestle something down to earth. We start small in order to go big. Today, when many of us carry phones in our pockets, we snap away easily, step forward and back, filter and edit and app it up. When I first began taking pictures of flowers, I used an iPhone, not a newish one, just what I happened to have. And I go on and go on. But then I finally bought a real camera, a simple Canon Rebel entry level with an additional 50 millimeter lens. That camera has taught me more about floral design than I care to admit. First, it taught me to better see negative space, the area around your subject. That man with his hands up peering through a box of his own design, he's deciding what stays in and what stays out. But more, he's looking for empty space, space that draws your eye toward the subject at hand. Can I go on?
0: Yes. I'm like captivated. Yes. Go go on. This this is beautiful. Remember
1: those black and white optical illusions that claim to reveal your personality through what you see first in a square image, a vase in black or two profiles in white. The lesson, we see the spaces around flowers, sometimes as much as we see the flowers themselves.
0: Wow. That's one thing
1: about photography. There are more
0: in the book, but that's
1: (laughs) one that we were, um, yeah.
0: That's wow! Um, I um, I never put it in words, and you just did so beautifully. That, that was that was fantastic, and yes,
1: similar type of discussions around color. And right. in the section on value, there's a large section on color theory, and in the section on value, which is the relative lightness or brightness of an object. Uh, mm-hmm most of, there's a lot of art history in the book and art art and color theory. And one way that I recommend people learn how to see value is by taking a picture of their flowers and then converting it to black and white so that they can see the relative darkness or lightness of a hue. Because Mm -hmm. it's not a matter of black and white when each color has a relative level of Brilliance or darkness, and one example I
0: use is mm-hmm. the saturation mm-hmm.
1: yeah sort of saturation that is it, it in part, but um you know red has a um lower value than yellow, just as it mm-hmm. is no both co- both colors can be completely saturated, so saturation is exactly the right word but um anti color flower nerdy uh, color theory nerdiness. Um what was i going to say about value yeah so you can change the value of a flower by or you can you can't change the value or relative brightness or light or lightness of, of a flower but you can change a viewer's interpretation of value by what flowers you put alongside it for example mm. um, let's say you've got a couple of cafe ole dahlias right they're so gorgeous and you want to combine them, this was kind of on trend a few years ago, to maybe have some chocolate cosmos in there, kind of like moody, dark flowers or some deeper dahlias or something. What happens when you take a picture of that or when you get those pictures back from a wedding florist? All the darkness is black holes because Mm -hmm. a really high contrasted arrangement and your eye and the camera can't gain enough definition in the dark flowers so
0: right you have to be
1: really careful because um colors influence one another significantly Mm -hmm. and um that's why it's it's good to take a black and white picture of your work to see what's going to be lost or gained what's going to show up or disappear
0: that's such a good point i have Never done that, and yes, I am so gonna go through my photos that I've just like some images that i've just recently taken and look view them in a black and white setting so yes that's thank you for sharing that I think that's that's an amazing point now I mean obviously this wasn't An overnight thing for you you sort of develop this and I'm sure at this point as you design you don't necessarily need to go black and white to see this because you probably naturally pick up on this at this point right um but do you still well I guess did you ever design photograph and you're like oh no gotta go fix that this is not working
1: every single time yeah every single time or you know the piece might look great enough to go out the door but put it in front of the camera particularly where you can only see one side of it mm-hmm. and you know you have to pick a side if it's a 360 arrangement then you like might have some one really special flower that you might want to borrow from the other side pop it in just for the picture and then you can return it to the other side all kinds of bakery goes on i mean it's not bakery it's just um adaptations, particularly Mm. as it's, you know, it's, you're you're only shooting on one plane and often when bouquets or, you know, anything, it's so hard to get all angles of work.
0: Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, the depth is one thing that gets lost quite a bit, and as you said, I mean, it's you're taking the 3D into a 2D, so you're using depth as is already physical depth of it, and then you lose in visual depth as it goes with colors and you know all of this this element. So for for a wedding florist, for example, you know who's designing a bouquet. I mean, you design this bouquet and you hand it off; it's gorgeous and beautiful and all of these things. But then how can you avoid some of those painful images that come back and you're from the photographer, you look at it and you're like, ah.
1: Well, you know, my advice and there's advice in the book about this is, you know, be really careful who you'll work with. Mm. One, that was a part of why I started taking my own photos is there was this fashion for this kind of sepia-toned work at Mm -hmm. one time. And I would be invited to I guess they call it like a collab or something where you do the flowers and everyone self everyone promotes right. each other didn't work for me at all. Like, <laughs> because aesthetically, you know unless you're with working with one photographer that you trust the look and if you're trying to manage your Instagram feed, which I don't spend a lot of time um, managing my Instagram feed, let's be honest. Um, I do post things that happen that day. I don't mm-hmm. see them up, and you know, I'm I'm more spontaneous than that. But um, but if you were curating your feed, you don't want a, t- a different look all of a sudden showing up in there. So I would be very right. cautious about that. And you know, as a part of doing more high end work, I think think you can be fussier about what photographer you know, you're promoting one another. And so,
0: right.
1: you know, if the bride has the wrong look for the photographer, then you'll kind of know that you're not going right. to get pictures back. But you can always show up with your own camera before you show true. up. No, you're under no obligation to post pictures from that wedding that are the photographer's pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've done that before. I've handed over a bridal bouquet and asked the lady, asked the woman to to pose for me right then and there, right my own picture.
0: Right. right. Yeah. yeah I, I, I've done quite a few of those as well myself. And, um, but yeah, it's oftentimes, you, you know, you arrive with the, with the bouquet and they're getting ready and it's not really quite the moment, right. To do this. And you're like, you gotta go set up the ceremony. And, you know, it's like, ah, how do you then go? You know? So yeah, I, I totally get it. If you budget
1: enough time for yourself, I have another tip. I use a lot of um, pin frogs in my work. Mm -hmm. Just putting a pin frog on a pedestal, jamming those stems, the bouquet stems into that pin frog, and just trailing that ribbon off the side or, you know, faking the ribbon a little bit because, you know, anyway, because you know all about about that. But um, and then photographing it at home. Before, mm-hmm. before it goes out the door right Yeah, just just sticking it, if you have no one else to hold it that's why right. I'm frog because i have no one else to hold it right so just right. there and you're you're good to go
0: that's a great point yeah yeah well thank you i mean you just shared some really really seriously good gold nuggets right there <laughs> so that's like amazing <laughs> thank you yeah, yeah. That was, that, that was great. I really cannot wait to see the book, actually. Like, I, I really am. Like, now I'm even more excited about okay. it. Like, what other fun stuff's going to be there? So, yeah. So what's the next project for you? So I know you just, I mean, the book just launched, but yeah. In September of, you know, COVID
1: 2020.
0: Uh, where, yeah.
1: <laughs> no, there are, truthfully, I, you know, I live above the 49th parallel in Canada. And yeah. um, we're running out of fair weather here. Yeah, yeah, flowers will continue until kind of mid October, depends how much rain we get, and things just kind of fizzle out in a very brown and muddy way. Mm. No crisp snow to relieve us. And, um, I actually finished the two, I managed to pull off two Canadian workshops this summer. Our numbers are really quite low in Canada for COVID, and so. I taught in Calgary at a sustainable flowers workshop and I led a workshop on Salt Spring Island. That was a residential workshop. So that was fantastically fun. So glad I did it. Mm -hmm. Um, My workshop in Scotland this year, which is supposed to be in about two to three weeks, it's canceled. So it's yeah. It's so I actually don't have plans. I'm trying to write another book, but I've just barely begun.
0: Oh, ah, well, you know, you have a lot of time right now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. says
1: yeah. <laughs> the woman who was off 15 minutes late for your podcast. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, you're yeah. fine. Yeah. You're absolutely fine. You know, you know, this is, this is real life. Things happen, you know, but, um, yeah, that's I'm um, I, I am I'm truly I'm actually excited about your book and honestly, uh, as soon as I started looking into some workshops, like I said, this this thing happened and I'm like seriously. So yes, I absolutely cannot wait till you know you can possibly come back down this way again and do some workshops because I've heard amazing things. So yeah, I, I would hate to see not those not happening. Honestly, I am
1: doing some Zoom presentations.
0: Oh, nice. Yeah,
1: I had a speaking tour that was set up and mm-hmm. most of it, canceled. Well, it was all canceled in the spring. So as people have adapted to Zoom, I'm going to be a part of Flowerstock this year, Holly Chapel's big event. Oh, nice. And yep. I'll do a design demonstration over Zoom or pre-recorded, but with a Q&A part. Of um, that one adaptation then i'll be um discussing flowers with the des moines botanic garden as a part of their garden festival in october mm-hmm. and then the garden club of america as well but that's just the new york chapter and you have to be a mm-hmm. member to access the right. that online content yeah
0: yeah well um you know i mean we all kind of um adapted into the new normal whatever this is right now right then all we can do is just adapt and kind of make the best we can out of what we have and um, I have to say actually a lot of people um, and you include I mean they really are trying to keep this you know educational side of things alive you know and I commend you guys for that because uh, you know there are days that I have five Zoom meetings, you know, and it's not the same, right? It doesn't matter what you no, do, but
1: no,
0: no. not the same. So the feedback is that 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 human interaction that in a moment as you're teaching and things are coming back at you, and it's just yeah, that it's slightly different. But needless to say, I think it's still kind of important to to keep that momentum going a little bit. You know, what I mean, because I cannot imagine even not having that. You know,
1: yeah, I'm not going to. Rush into creating like video subscription lesson, mm-hmm. creating a TV channel or any of that. I really like teaching in person. I like yeah. lecturing in person to big audiences. Mm-hmm. Got the same energy going, yes. Uh, standing alone in a room with myself, a hundred percent cannot. Um, so <laughs> it's, yeah. it's really, or speaking to a videographer. That isn't, it's so hard for me. So I'm just going to, you know, pull on other skills and other ways of making money, which is for me, writing another book or selling the book that I currently have and sticking to my local clients and doing that kind of thing and mm-hmm. um, waiting for this to pass.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, yep. I, I, I keep saying this, you know, I think, uh, I mean, not I think, I, I know it's going to pass. Who knows how long it's going to take. And, you know, we're going to live to tell about it, all about it, right? Yeah, so it's, you know, it's just one for the books for sure. Um,
1: It's a good time for books.
0: That is for sure. I have no... I have no aspiration to write a book, but if, if I had, I, this, this probably would have been the best time ever to do that. Um, writing is absolutely not my, my thing. Like, I, I, I just can't.
1: <laughs> you know, to, to give your readers of, or your listeners a little bit uh-huh. of um, support right now, that everybody's struggling creatively. When I say yeah. that I barely started a book, I've been home now for, what, five months, more or less? Mm-hmm. And I can barely string two sentences together lately. You know, I'm reading mm-hmm. so much news that your whole frontal lobe of your brain is sort of stressed out in adapting to all these new mm-hmm. conditions. And, you know, chances are you're worried about family you haven't seen, other things going on. Um, I've found it a really stressful and not very productive time. Thank you very much, but it you know, people might think that they're able to write a novel, but don't feel bad if you can't accomplish that much because it's been really hard um for creative people, I think
0: i I, I agree. And you know the funny thing is, um well, it's really not funny, but in retrospect, I guess it is a little bit. Um, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to do this. I have all these thoughts before COVID happened, right? And every time I'm like, well, I just wish I had a little more time. I just wish I had a little more time. You know, it turns out time wasn't the problem. No. Sometimes, you know, so it's just kind of a very interesting discovery or self-discovery, I should say. I'm like, aha. Uh-huh. All right. Okay. So, you know, different kind of mindset is what's needed here. So,
1: Sensing another opportunity to read from the book. Oh, okay. Creativity and finding creativity and finding the time for creativity. Uh, So where are we? There's a section on designing that's really ultimately about style and um, kind of just your own your own creative process. So let me see. It's not. I don't. I didn't have it marked. Creatives, in my opinion, are largely made, not born. For me, the term creative discipline means just that. You show up, you do the work, you put your butt in the chair or your eyes on the vase or camera, and you educate yourself. Perhaps this is what Constance Spry meant when she said of floristry, an eye can be trained more readily than a character changed. Temperament may have more to do with talent than we think. Training and practice help one to develop artistically. That needn't be heavy or limiting, but it is work. And some days it feels like it to me. The well is dry, ideas used up. But if you cultivate creativity, it does grow. You just have to give it your attention.
0: Very well said. Yeah. <laughs> very, very well said. Yes, absolutely. Ah, uh, Thank you.
1: Sorry. It's it's sort of like working out, you know, and it's really, it's a little bit like that. And people might think, Oh God, you know, you're so creative, blah, blah, blah. And I just emphasize over and over again that number one, I created a lifestyle in which I can be creative. Mm -hmm. Number two, I I have flexibility in my schedule to set myself up periods of space to be creative both time and physical space Mm -hmm. i mentioned there are spaces in my home where i can be creative um so i i I lack the discipline but but the good thing about flowers is there's always something new blooming and so there's always some new source of inspiration every single day if you particularly if you're using flowers from your own garden um which I strongly advocate even just for practice. Um, right. Yeah. For, no uh, grasses or branches or whatever, that um, there's always something new outside in nature. So there's always something new to hook you. And it, will, it won't last long. We know that as, as designers, that rows won't be perfect for very mm-hmm. long. So there's always incentive.
0: And I, mm-hmm. I love
1: that about our work.
0: That is so true. It's it's funny. Um, every time I go hiking with my husband, uh, of course, I have my cell phone, and every time he goes, why do you need your cell phone? I'm like, I'm not going to call anybody, but I'm going to take some pictures. So, and of course, I pick things along the way. And now when we go hiking, he pre-negotiates the situation. He goes, okay, so could we like hike a little bit and like enjoy each other's company before you go off chasing A branch and a flower or whatever. So, you know, he's like, I just want to kind of hang out with you rather than sitting there watching you go off and, you know, with your camera, you know, in front of your face. I'm like, fine. So now I have to split my time when I go hiking. But I agree, if nothing else you know, just, just even going in your neighborhood and taking a walk, there's always going to be something that's going to pop up and something that's going to be maybe worth taking a picture and exploring and enjoying and having fun if nothing else. Right. So yeah, that's very well said. Thank you. Oh my God. This was, this felt very therapeutic conversation. I have to say.
1: I did an Instagram live with a a kind of corporate therapist yesterday. Uh Uh-huh. Approached me because she really appreciated all the personal development part of the book,
0: uh-huh. and the
1: philosophical elements and the bits on psychology. Right. So yeah, so that's I might be in that mood. They call it priming when you've already been primed up by some. Right. Just as and here's another instance of priming when I taught creative writing, you before you sit down to write, you might read a piece of poetry, even though you're writing prose, you might do that because Mm -hmm. it'll it'll hang in your ears. And sometimes looking at, um, you know, an an art book or maybe even looking at Instagram before you Mm -hmm. design and then putting that away, but, you know, still, you'll You'll never really be able to copy something, but it will carry over into mm-hmm. your your memory into your reality. And I think that that can be a fun creative tool, actually.
0: Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I mean, it's in a way you're kind of feeding your subconscious with yeah. information that you want your brain to sort of retrieve from, as opposed to
1: dip into that well. But everything's different. I don't.
0: Believe
1: that, um, people should be intimidated about copying other designers work because nobody can ultimately copy anything. No, it's the history of art is a history of copying and adapting. It's, and then facing challenges, um, around scarcity, right? You might want to copy somebody's bouquet, but you can't find those flowers. So then you innovate. And so every, every, creative process has a starting point and it's your uniqueness that will create Mm -hmm. that result, uh, even though your intention may have been different at the beginning. And that's what I love are the surprises along the way.
0: Right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It is so hard to copy anybody for that matter. You know, you may copy a specific technique, but... At the end of the day, the end result is always going to be different because it's going to have your own unique flair, right? You kind of reminded me of a book, um, "Steal Like an Artist." Um, the whole trilogy of the books, I love all three of them.
1: I love that book here. Yeah,
0: I love. I think um, I forgot the other two. I think "Steal Like an Artist" can keep working or keep going or something. I'm not
1: work something. There's one about promoting your work that.
0: Yeah, so he he did this whole trilogy of them. Um, I have all three of them, and I, I I find all three of them fantastic. But show your work,
1: show your, show your work.
0: work. That's it. Thank you. Yes. Um. But it, it's all it's that's all he's talking about. It's like there isn't anything groundbreaking or new, essentially. But what makes it a groundbreaking and new is your own flair. That's kind yeah. of it. So. Yeah yeah i
1: I notice if I've if i for example come up with an interesting or innovative combination um the number of times people save it on Instagram you know or 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 maybe a flower that is new to people because I've pulled something out of the perennial bed instead of something
0: right easily
1: ordered um you know, but how many people will actually you know it'll just be a touch point of inspiration. And it makes me happy when that happens.
0: That's wonderful. So besides COVID, because this is challenging for everyone, what has been the most challenging thing that you've ever faced as far as your career goes?
1: Well, I have a really diverse career, so I'm not really sure what part to mention. Uh, Writing is hard, Mm -hmm. very hard for me now, which is frustrating. Uh, but I think the scale of the next project is is going to is a little big, mm-hmm. so sometimes I'm quite a visionary person insofar as I love coming up with ideas and linking ideas together. That's super fun. The execution is a lot more difficult for me. Mm-hmm particular because I'm a real butterfly in how I work. So I might have like six projects going at the same time and I skip between them. And so staying with one thing, being still with it and plodding along in a logical fashion is extremely difficult for me.
0: I feel like that's something most artists struggle with because I think
1: at the same time, you know, we all want to achieve flow. We are all dying right. to get that psychic state where timelessness, you know, comes into our soul and we lose track, and we're so immersed in the work that we're just blissed out. I I am able to do that, but I guess I think discipline would help me achieve that more often. Mm. Yeah. Particularly with the writing.
0: Yeah. So my next question for you actually is um, if let's say, hypothetically speaking, you stop creating, right? Career change, whatever that may be. And in retrospect, looking back, if there's one project that you would like the floral industry to know you by, right? Or legacy, if you will, what would that be?
1: Well, people write books for legacies, there you I, go. <laughs> uh, I've done that, uh, um, and you know, in accomplishing writing the book, you know, there I now feel like that portion of my life is is over. Um, you know, nonfiction writers do move around, and you know, they might write a book on beavers. I had a friend bring a book over earlier today, uh, a wonderful book about the history of the beaver. And her next book could be about, you know, um, know, Olympic athlete or something. Who knows? People do Mm -hmm. tend to stay in natural history or in one area. So Mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter and um, many other cultural things that are going on at this moment have made me recognize the limitations of my current book. And I would like to expand its range and I cannot repeat the content that's in the book, but I can take the same um, manner of vision that I brought to this book mm-hmm. and apply it to different plant materials. So that's where mm-hmm. I'm going with the next book. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to try and decolonize my own book, which won't be easy.
0: So we'll see. Ha. Huh. Yeah. Okay. I guess we all are going to wait to see, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be amazing. I I have absolutely no doubt. Um, If you couldn't do flowers at all, what would you do? Uh,
1: I'd cook a lot more.
0: Okay. You know,
1: it's for me, that's another creative expression. Yeah, i probably have a cookbook in me too. Um, I would... Um, I would travel more. And I know that that's ecologically not wise, but I'm at a stage in my life where I'm very good at it now. And I love, love, love to do it. Um, I love novelty and inspiration from new things. And learning about history makes me want to learn more about history. And I'm also a writer who... Uh, responds well to lived experience. So mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily a library researcher. I'd rather tell a personal narrative about something I've experienced. And COVID is really slowing me down at the moment in right. terms of what I can write about um, be- because of where I can go. And it's really a struggle, real struggle for me because it's uh, impacted my creative process. I'm sitting mm-hmm. and doing research on the computer not so fun. Not Not. quite
0: the same. No. Yeah.
1: So so I guess I'd cook and travel more. Is that what I said?
0: Yes. You know what? Can I come along? Because I have this dream that I want to go and eat my way through the world. I know this sounds terrible. (laughs) but I I literally want to go visit countries and not the most touristy areas I actually want to go hang out with the locals and eat the food they cook my own like Anthony Bourdain kind of experience but like in my own personal kind of way without the cameras you know I yeah,
1: yeah I know it's hard it's hard I don't know how we can all travel responsibly we've become so accustomed to it and yeah yeah Certainly, you know, out here with the wildfires and the smoke, it's really acute the the feeling you have when you can't breathe the air outside and it makes you think about the future of the planet. It's not very fun. Yeah. That said, I have I was, you know, we're all gonna look at lousy little ways in which we can defend our own actions. And I only have one child, and that means if somebody has more than one child, I get to take thirty-six more transatlantic flights per year because of all the carbon emissions from that extra baby that they had. But <laughs> I have zero. The worst, <laughs> worst, worst way of, of <laughs> that is probably the worst way of developing community identity and we're all in it together feeling. But mm-hmm. I did feel slightly vindicated around that. Now imagine if you were a person who chose not to to be child free um, by choice. You know there are all different ways. I, I do eat a lot of organic food and, you know, support a lot of local businesses. I, mm-hmm. use my car because I don't have to, I live in a city and it's easy. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, there are things that offset the amount of travel that I do. So I will give myself that.
0: Right. So I have zero children. I walk a lot if I can. I don't live in a city where I have to drive my car. So I'm trying to think how much travel I can, you know, bank on that. But no, I, I totally agree. It is, you know, in all reality, I mean, this didn't happen overnight. And, you know, us being so careless, right? Or such takers from the planet without giving back that it's kind of hard to imagine sometimes, okay, if we take away everything, strip away everything that contributes to that, what are we left with, you know? So it's kind of, it's, it's, it's a very difficult balance. I mean, I, I do try to be as responsible as I can. You know, I do recycle, I eat organic as much as I, I do all of these things and it somehow does not seem enough, right? It's not, it's not enough now. Yeah, you know, it just doesn't seem enough. And and yeah, yeah that's all that's all I can. Yeah, you can't sort of
1: it's not enough when governments aren't doing what they should. You know? yeah, I agree. To ask consumers to take responsibility for the planet in and to make choices that will protect others when a government won't even do that, that's really flawed. You know, you're you're you know, what are you supposed to vote with your dollars? Like, oh, I'm gonna vote. For organic food by buying it all the time. Yes, that is fair. But when your government right. is letting all the soil erode or, you know, dismantling the Environmental Protection Agency, which is the case in your country, uh, there's a serious flaw mm-hmm. there. And so
0: <laughs> absolutely, we can't
1: put that all on our shoulders. And I feel yeah. that political change needs to happen through political engagement, not just by where you decide to buy your groceries. That is not significant enough. I agree. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. We have to do more. And we have to do more. We should talk about flowers, but you know, in terms of where we're buying our flowers from and how we're buying mm-hmm. our flowers and how we're educating customers about seasonality, uh, I do make a point of that. And I still have those conversations, even though people know I use largely well, you know, garden, flowers for my own gardens. Um, mm-hmm. I had a request for blue and white the other day. And I said, it's really not the time of year in the fall that I have access to much blue. I'm sorry. And just, just to make th- that person aware that at this time of year, you know, I can't get a delphinium. I, I can't really get Larkspur right now.
0: Right, um, right. But,
1: you know, just saying, no, it's not an option. And right. look, I, you know, just white is fine. Yeah. So it all worked out, but Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's up to us as designers to educate people about the seasonality of flowers.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, I agree. I absolutely agree. And also, um, the way they're being, um, grown and cultivated and so on and so on, because it's, at the end of the day, you don't know what you don't know, and they really don't know. They can only come and, you know, ask you with their lovely little Pinterest image, right? Which, yes, it's helpful. Tells me quite a bit about the person um, in terms of the style and aesthetics and so on. But past that, I mean, I, I kind of have those conversations. I'm like, well, that wedding already had happened. Let's make yours happen now, but let's talk about flowers, <laughs> you know? I know is so not what we're here to talk about, but let's talk about flowers here for a minute, you know, and, um, let's make the decision that's ultimately gonna, you know, work well for everyone. And I haven't had any pushback, honestly, every time I ever had those open conversations with my brides, just never had a pushback, honestly. Um, you know, I think maybe some florists, um, don't have the confidence perhaps to have those conversations because they're afraid that they might lose the job or something like that. I feel like that that's part of it. And I can say, honestly, I haven't lost a job because of those conversations, Um, you know, and I feel like maybe, you know, educating just the floral, floral professionals in general, you know what I mean? Or wedding professionals, I guess I should say in general, I think would be a helpful thing for all parties involved, not just, you know, before, started, but, yeah
1: starting you know i'm a part of that movement and mm-hmm. those conversations have happened in the food movement and mm-hmm. so people are very conscious about that in terms of food and uh, you know flowers are living things and so people people are learning i'd say
0: yeah i definitely have seen um more changes and um so it's, it's exciting to see that um but I feel like this is a, it's going to be an ongoing fight. Maybe is not the right word, but it's going to be an ongoing educational. yeah. 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 There you go. Well, um, this, this has been wonderful, Christine. I, I really, truly enjoy your time. And, um, the energy you just brought to this. I, like I said, it felt very therapeutic, whether it was pre-primed, you know, on some weird subconscious level or not. I'm glad it all happened the way it happened. It's just oh, wonderful. Sure. Really enjoyed it. Um, before we part ways, if you can uh, share with the listeners where they can find you. And of course, we'll share all of this in show notes as well. Sure. I'm on
1: Instagram at Cultivated by Kristen, and Kristen is spelled like christmas. Christin, cultivated. I think if you put in "cultivated by," it'll pop it'll up. Come up. Mm-hmm. Websites the same, and uh, my shop for buying autographed copies of the books, or prints, or cards. The publisher made note cards, and then this fall there are puzzles coming out, Ooh. which is super fun. Yeah, yeah, puzzles of um, one of some of these fruit crates that I did some flower arranging in during the pandemic, and. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So that's cultivated.shop.
0: Nice. Well, uh, thank you again. And I uh, cannot wait to get my hands on that book.
1: Good. Okay. Thanks again. Bye for now.
0: Bye. Well, that was it. Now, wasn't that magical? Wasn't it magical to sit there and listen to the author herself reading reading from her book? <sighs> Anyways, so I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Um, and as I mentioned in the very beginning of this episode, that we are going to be giving away one of Christine's lovely books and the way this is going to work. Now, all of that information will be on our website in the show notes. It'll also be in our Instagram feed, so make sure you follow and follow all of the rules of the contest and then you may win one of her books. And it's pretty simple. Leave us a review, share, and tag To increase your chances, share and tag as many times as you can. There you go. It's just that simple. Talk to you later. Well, it's a wrap. Thank you everyone for listening, for tuning in to Viva La Flora Live podcast. We'll see you next week.